Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We also want to thank our newest patrons Anna Tivel, Kazing Zamik, Katie Edwards, Gaurav Shohan and Ritu Tiwari. Thank you for any contribution you make in helping run this podcast. A bomb just went off in the World Trade Center. It's like it's unbelievable. This is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. It looked like an airplane crashed into the building. Thank God it wasn't terrorist though. That what is that falling? Is that a person? Where? Oh I'm falling. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! What? Oh my god! It's terrorist that is What do we do? On the 11th of September 2001, the world fundamentally changed. From the moment 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists boarded four American aircrafts and one by one by one planned to crash them into four of the United States' most significant buildings, death and destruction was on the way. Working in these buildings on that morning and living in these cities on the 11th of September were hundreds of thousands of Indians, one of whom was Sneha Philip. A beautiful 31-year-old doctor, Sneha was living in and walking the streets of New York City the morning of the attack and then she vanished this is the story of sneha philip I don't know why Ashwarya but there is something viscerally disgusting about 9/11. There is something that gives me goosebumps mm. even though I was born months before 9/11. I obviously I don't remember news clips. Obviously I don't remember the pandemonium that 9/11 caused. Yet whenever there is a 9/11 documentary, it's as if I was there. It's as if it impacted me directly. and perhaps it did something that does directly connect us to 911 is the fact that 5000 people of indian origin alone worked at the world trade center and 250 of those 250 were killed on the day the planes crashed into the towers wow yeah i did not know that fact that's insane and aren't you right in saying that there is something very human about a tragedy of that magnitude that resonates regardless of um i guess how close to 911 you were born and uh, how geographically far we were we were thousands and thousands of miles away so were our parents and everyone we were close to yet 
the tragedy strikes a very deep chord. For those of you that don't follow us on our private accounts, Aran and I were in New York City just a few weeks ago, and one of the first things on our to-do list was to visit the 9/11 memorial. Yes, we're Indians, and yes, this is a Desi crime podcast. But like I said, tragedies of that magnitude blur all borders and distinctions. Visiting the memorial, not for a second did it feel like Americans died. It felt like innocent people died. That feeling of oneness was, I think, only increased by this one exhibit inside the museum, where it was just five walls full of photographs of all the three thousand victims, and seeing Indian names and faces on those walls. There were so many, so we were all affected that day, no matter where we were. And so, from what you've told us already, one of the people directly affected by this tragedy was Sneha Phillip. Tell us, who is she, and what happened to her? So Sneha Ann Philip was born on the 7th of October 1969 to Ansu and Philip in South India in Kerala. Growing up in a Christian family, Sneha was the only baby girl with two protective and doting brothers. When Sneha was still a young girl, her entire family moved to the United States and settled in New York, first in the Albany area and then in Hopewell Junction in Dutchess County. There was no doubt she was a very academically inclined and bright young girl. For her undergraduate degree, for example, Sneha got into the Johns Hopkins University, one of the most prestigious colleges in the world. Slowly, Sneha grew into a hardworking young woman and a loving sister and daughter. According to Sneha's brother Ashwin, Sneha was creative. She loved to paint, write, and create music. While she was studying at Johns Hopkins, Sneha decided to pursue a career in medicine and become a doctor, just like her father had been. So she enrolled in the Chicago School of Medicine in 1995. Naturally, though, I'm sure Sneha's academic life overtook other aspects of her life for a few years, as she worked tirelessly to get what is arguably the hardest and longest degrees. Chicago, at her university. Is where Sneha met Ron Lieberman. Originally from Los Angeles, Ron had moved to Chicago to go to med school just like Sneha had, but he was a year her junior. Ron was a talented young musician and, in many ways, represented a dichotomy of personalities. He was career-driven and wanted to be a practicing doctor, but his art brought him to life. Sneha saw parts of herself in Ron. The couple started hanging out, slowly developed feelings, started dating, and quickly fell madly in love with each other. Soon enough, they knew they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together. In fact, their relationship got so serious so soon that Sneha decided to take a year off of college to be able to graduate at the same time as Ron. That way, the two could find jobs together, move to a new city together, buy a house together, and begin a new life. While Sneha took time off college, she fed her spontaneous side by traveling across Italy and having the time of her life. She eventually returned to the United States. She and Ron completed their last year of schooling together, and they graduated together in 1999. As luck would have it, and to both of their delight, Ron and Sneha both received invitations to complete their residency internships in New York City. Ron was placed at the Jacobi Medical Center in the Bronx, and Sneha went to the Cabrini Medical Center located in Manhattan. 
the couple moved to what is one of the most amazing cities on the face of this planet in my opinion at least and rented a cozy little studio apartment in East Village together I certainly agree with that opinion very fervently <laughs> yeah for those <laughs> who that don't city. know Aryan just moved to New York so he's kind of in love too Yep <laughs> Then a year later in 2000 the two got married in a beautiful intimate wedding close to where Sneha had grown up in Dutchess County in the south of New York state The pictures of their wedding represent the coming together of two cultures Sneha dressed beautifully in a white gown quintessential for Christian weddings but with that white dress she wore quintessentially Indian gold jewelry representative of her Indian heritage The wedding had an altar like Christian weddings but had hints of Ron's Jewish heritage everywhere. Ron even gave Sneha a minnu, which is a traditional Malayali Christian wedding pendant, shaped like a golden teardrop with a diamond set in it. Ron walked by her side by side in a fitted dark blue suit. The two looked as happy and as in love as ever. Shortly after their wedding, the couple moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Battery Park and began a new phase of their life together. I just want to contextualize this for people. two doctors moving into a one bedroom apartment <laughs> sounds sort of unheard of it's one of the highest paying jobs right. but new york is one of the highest you know cities with the highest rent and a one bedroom apartment um near battery park which is in lower manhattan is a very you know that that would be an expensive apartment for sure so when when i'm when we say one bedroom just do not think of it as you know middle class they're definitely earning well to be fair the couple were also just in their residency period so i'm sure their their paychecks would increase as time went on that's true um but yeah no new york is expensive by the standard of almost any place in the world because it's the most expensive city in the world so yeah <laughs> it is the standard yep <laughs> Sorry I'm getting personal here. It's just I've started living yes, here and I've realized yeah it's so expensive <laughs> to live here. So the couple moved into this apartment together as expensive as it was and it was now 2001. Sneha and Ron both began new jobs with Sneha doing her internal medicine residency work at St Vincent's Hospital in Staten Island. It was the 10th of September 2001 and Sneha had a day off work. But she had a plan for her day. She was going to be cleaning up the apartment because she was going to be having a visitor over, her cousin Anu. She also had a dinner plan with Anu 2 days later and she decided to use her day off to prepare. That morning before Ron went to work, Ron and Sneha hung out together. They both got breakfast together and then Ron left for work. He hugged Sneha goodbye and told her that he'd see her back at home at night after work. During the course of the day, the 10th of September 2001, while Ron was at work, Sneha had a 2-hour long call with her mother during which she just casually mentioned to her mother that she had plans to visit the Windows on the World restaurant which was located on top of the nearby North Tower of the World Trade Center. Sneha's close friend was going to host one of her wedding events in that gorgeous restaurant in the upcoming spring. and Sneha decided to drop by and check the venue out beforehand at 4 pm she said goodbye to her mother and got on with her tasks for the day it was now 11 pm at night ron returned back from work but quickly realized sneha wasn't in the apartment now this was odd to ron but not super unusual sneha would often crash for the night at a friend's place or a cousin's place but what she did always do 
was call Ron to tell him she wouldn't be coming back home for the night. On this night, Ron had received no such call. Ron was slightly worried but no alarm bells went off just yet. Ron has come forward to describe what went through his mind that night. He thought Sneha just forgot and before falling asleep, he made a mental note to remind her to tell him of her plans if she ever decided not to come back for the night, just so he didn't worry. At around 12:30 a.m. on what was now the 11th of September 2001, Ron fell asleep. Ron woke up early the next morning at 6:30 a.m. to get ready for work, but realized Sneha still wasn't back. She didn't come back all night. But it was 6:30 a.m. If she had slept over at a friend's place, she wouldn't be back at 6 a.m. So he put the thought of Sneha out of his mind, got ready for work, and left his apartment. Ashwarya, putting aside the thought of his wife, that. that's tough for me because it's not that easy if your loved one hasn't returned home neither have they um told you about their whereabouts in a city like new york where crime is so high and i'm talking petty crime and homicide and right. so for your loved one be it girlfriend partner parent child to not have contacted you and been out the entire night that uh, personally uh, that's not something i could just put out of my head and the explanation that it was normal because she usually slept over not usually but often slept over at a friend's place or a cousin's place that's also weird to mm. me this is a 31 year old married woman and it's normal for her to sleep over at a friend's place i don't know personally that's no that's true to, to me as well as you were me. saying it right Um but you know this is 2001 there are no phones back in the day if you wake up at 6:30 a.m. and you have work to get to and your wife usually sleeps outside and she's not home at that time there's not much you can do than say I'm going to give it some time Such before I panic Such uncivilized <laughs> people without phones Yeah it's like 20 years ago <laughs> So Ron reached the hospital He had a meeting at his hospital once he arrived and the meeting only ended at 9 a.m. by which time the world as people knew it had fundamentally changed. Just 15 minutes before Ron's meeting had ended, five hijackers crashed American Airlines flight 11 into the northern facade of the World Trade Center's North Tower, which stood just a few blocks away from the couple's apartment. 3 minutes after Ron left his meeting, Another five hijackers crashed United Airlines flight 175 into the southern tower's southern facade. Now, Ron was worried about Sneha. The city of New York was in a state of pure chaos and pandemonium with smoke and char all over the streets. For those of you who don't know a lot about 9/11, there were people inside the towers jumping to their death from what was a 110-story building just because falling to death seemed way better than burning alive inside the building there were firefighters and 911 operators responding to thousands and thousands of people that were calling in either from inside the building because they were literally burning to their death and couldn't breathe or from outside the towers because people had loved ones stuck up there who they knew would die if the buildings collapsed you know 175 new york we have some problems over here right now we might have a hijack over here two of them Yo, this is Ryan. Uh, listen, on an airplane, that's been hijacked. Things don't go well. It's not looking good. 
I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So happy this time. Uh, same for my parents and everybody. And I just totally love you. And uh, I'll see you later. Bye, babe. So both towers are now. Okay, now I got an aircraft east of the White House. People also had no idea that this was a terrorist attack until much later. It was so unbelievable. It felt like a, a terrible accident that a plane crashed into this monumental building. For a moment after their completion, the World Trade Towers were the tallest buildings in the world and continued to be the tallest buildings in New York till the day they collapsed. I mean, we all know about Burj Burj Khalifa, but the Twin Towers were the tallest buildings for the longest time. But then the plane hits the Pentagon in Arlington and then another one almost crashed into the White House. Point being, nobody even knew what the hell was happening around them until much later. But I can imagine it must have felt just like the apocalypse, like the Russians have attacked or a nuclear war is about to happen. Absolutely. The audio footage from that time recorded by common people, it just says... Oh my God, there's been an accident. The World Trade Center is on fire. And all of that changes the moment the second plane hits the second tower. And then people are talking about it being a terrorist attack. But it exactly, it must have felt exactly like that. Like the world ending. And because of that, Ron needed to know where his wife was. He needed to know she was okay. But this was, like I said, 2001. Remember how many of our parents had cell phones back in that year? Probably none. Sneha didn't either, but that wasn't all. One of the tallest cell towers in New York City was on top of the World Trade Center tower, the building that was now burning from the inside and about to collapse. Thousands of people were making thousands of calls in that moment in the city, using up whatever bandwidth was available. Ron kept calling the phone inside the apartment, hoping she was safe in there. But nobody answered. Panicking, he called Sneha's parents. They had no idea where their daughter was and they hadn't heard from her since her mother spoke to her a day ago. And now they were all panicking. Ron got out of his office building and began walking towards the apartment but the streets were chaotic. It was impossible to get through the smoke and the people and the ambulances and the news reporters. Ron managed to get a ride because he was a doctor with an ambulance to their apartment later in the evening. But even to the ambulance, imagine this, it took six hours to get there due to the hordes and hordes of people fleeing lower Manhattan and the emergency responders making their way to ground zero. When he finally got to his apartment, he couldn't get in. The entry to the building was operated not manually but with electricity and the city was out of power. The automatic locks won't open. But Ron couldn't just sit around and do nothing. He ran blocks around his apartment building, screaming, shouting Sneha's name. But she was nowhere to be found. Eventually, he called a neighbour who was inside the building and asked them to knock on the door to Ron and Sneha's apartment to see if she was in there. But the neighbour said nobody opened the door. Nobody was inside the apartment. It seemed like, one by one, 
every avenue of trying to find Sneha safe was getting exhausted. But Ron couldn't do anything today. He called up a friend and asked if he could spend the night over at his place and the friend agreed. The next day, now the 12th of September 2001, Ron finally managed to gain access to his apartment door and get into the building. When he got inside his apartment though, what he saw felt like it was right out of a horror movie. His room was full of dust and ash. It looked like a haunting scene. Ron noticed one of the windows in his apartment had been left open during the attacks and the dust and ash and soot from the towers had travelled all the way over so many blocks away, covering his apartment in a layer of charcoal. But the dust was helpful. If anybody had been in the apartment building since after the attacks, which were now 24 hours ago, there should have been footprints all over the place. He could have easily been able to tell if Sneha had been back. But there were no footprints other than those of Ron and Sneha's two kittens, Figa and Kali. Sneha hadn't been back to their home in almost two days now. There was no sign of his wife. Now Ron was in full panic mode. It's not like it was just the chaos from the 9-11 attacks that made Sneha hard to reach. She hadn't come home or called him since a day before that. Something was wrong and Ron could now sense it. Ron spoke to Sneha's mother to try and find out what she said in the last conversation she had with Sneha the day she didn't come back home. Sneha's mom tells Ron she seemed perfectly normal. Nothing was out of the ordinary. She said she wanted to run some errands and do some shopping. But, oh my God. It hit Sneha's mother as she was talking to Ron. Sneha had mentioned wanting to go to the Windows on the World restaurant Holy crap. located on top of the now-collapsed North Tower. Sneha didn't say when she wanted to go. She didn't say she wanted to go that very day. She just said she wanted to visit sometime soon. But what are the odds? What are the odds that she talks about visiting one of the towers, the towers get attacked and are now collapsed, and Sneha is missing. What if she was up there when the planes hit? Sneha's mother could now feel a pit in her stomach. Where was her daughter? I would just like to add a point here. Um, Sneha, before 9-11, told her mother about her desire to visit the restaurant right. atop the World Trade Tower. It does not make a lot of sense to me that she went to the World Trade Tower before 9 a.m. on the next day. Because that requires her to go to the World Trade Towers around 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., which are, it's not impossible, but it's certainly very unreasonable for her to wake up and go peak breakfast. I mean, not even peak breakfast hours, right? Yeah, not even. Not even to the World Trade Towers and that to the top and that to just to check out that club. Mind you, this restaurant is a very fancy, you was. know. Yeah, was. Touche. <laughs> but it was a very fancy restaurant. And so it it didn't take walk-in customers and stuff like that. How exactly would she have visited in the morning? Just something to That's keep in mind. That's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And you're right, it's very unusual to go visit a really fancy restaurant that's not a typical breakfast place at somewhere between 7 to 9 a.m. in the morning. That's 
unusual especially since you spend the previous night with your friend i'm assuming you were up kind mm. of late you're not sleeping at 8 pm obviously but it's important to remember this was sneha's mom any of our moms in this position would panic just the same way sneha's family along with ron go over to the police station to file a missing persons report but there was a huge problem they were just one of thousands of people filing missing persons reports in the aftermath of the attacks to put this point into perspective out of the 2977 people that died in the attack as of 2021 1113 of those remain unidentified that's almost 40% of the victims with no identities and 40% of victim families that know their loved ones died in the attack but have no proof to that claim sneha's family would become one of those 1113 families on the 12th of september which is the day sneha's family went to the cops to file the report Rescue workers had only begun their efforts to dig people out of the rubble of the two collapsed buildings and many of these people were going to be alive. So it was understandably hard at this moment for Sneha's rescue efforts to be given any kind of priority, especially since there was no proof Sneha was at the World Trade Towers during the attacks to begin with. And if she was at the World Trade Towers, it's not like a special investigation would be there just for her. Yeah, All the no. efforts in place If Sneha was there, were for Sneha and anybody else buried and in the else, rubble. Yep, the cops were dealing with countless families whose loved ones worked at the towers and couldn't be found. These people were definitely in there, somewhere in the rubble. Sneha might be, but she might not be, and the cops didn't have enough resources to allocate to her finding. Sneha's family quickly realized the reality that Sneha was one among a growing list of missing people. When the cops couldn't help. Her family posted flyers all over the city in the hopes that someone had seen her or knew where she was. Ron even tried to get the press involved, but since Neha was not confirmed to be at Ground Zero, the press showed little interest. Two things. Firstly, there's never a good time to go missing, but this That's is true. a very bad time to go missing. Yep. And secondly, why would Ron think <laughs> anybody would care about one missing person when new york is literally shattered but the press wouldn't care about that right now the biggest event in the world is e- unfolding at the epicenter which is new york no you're right i don't think they believed that the cops or the press would care in this moment it's just that they couldn't be satisfied mm. at the end of the day without having at least tried of course to reach out to these people so like i said ron posted flyers he tried to get the press involved but nobody showed interest this is when ron grew desperate in a moment of wanting to find his wife he ends up telling sneha's brother ashwin to speak to the press again but to leave out the fact that she had actually been missing since the day before the attack ron wasn't the only one that was desperate though ashwin wanted to find his sister just as badly in a split second decision Ashwin decided to create a story and lie to the press and to the cops a lie that Ashwin would continue to regret for many many years to come. Ashwin ended up telling the press and the cops that he had actually spoken to his sister while the aircrafts were hitting the no. buildings and that she was there on ground zero helping the injured victims because no. she was a doctor. Now 
make no mistake making up the story seemed like a smart idea in the moment but it had consequences ashwin didn't anticipate and the consequence was simple sneha wasn't on ground zero the family had no real way of knowing whether or not she was in the building when the planes crashed mm. so by telling the story in a sense sneha's family had forced the cops to only focus on finding her within the rubble on ground zero when the reality was that sneha was missing since the night before mm. and since before the attack so she could be anywhere there was a chance she wasn't where the cops were looking and the lie had just confused the investigation beyond belief maybe even delaying actually finding out what happened to her but in that moment it seemed better that the cops try to find her in the rubble of the building than not try to find her at all and in that moment it seemed like the lie worked sneha's picture was all over the news in the days following the attacks as one of the missing people the cops were trying to find but then The investigators began actually trying to trace Sneha's last known location and Ashwin's lie quickly unraveled. As the cops begin to trace Sneha's last known steps, this mystery just grows deeper and deeper. Everyone only seems like they're further away from the question, where is Sneha? What happened to her? Did she die in the attack? or did she use the attack as an excuse to walk away from her life forever to know the full story of this case tune in to part 2 of the mysterious disappearance of sneha philip till then stay crazy stay desi <laughs>